This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Mark Stiles, your host. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston Chapter of Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. Hey folks, welcome to Leadership in Action. Today's guest is someone who's going to be an integral part of this podcast because he selflessly is very involved in our local EO chapter here at Boston, Massachusetts. He is the Marcom Chair for EO in Boston. He has deep industry knowledge of human resources, payroll, employees, and is an expert in running very successful service bureaus. He's the founder and president of Commonwealth Payroll and HR. Please welcome Jeff Plackens. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Finally. We are so excited to have you. So let's get right into it, okay? The question that we start with every time. What is a common misconception about leadership, running a business, and being an entrepreneur? Go. Go. Well, I think one of the things that um, everyone assumes is we all go into it knowing really what we're doing and having a good understanding about it. Um, I tell my kids all the time, you may work for somebody else, but really what you're doing is you're practicing to work for yourself. Now, unfortunately, a lot of entrepreneurs find themselves as entrepreneurs, as business owners, uh, confronted with challenges that they have not been confronted with ever before. Certainly in today's uh, environment, that that is the case more than ever, uh, not only pre-pandemic and going through the pandemic, but certainly post-pandemic, our world has changed. So um, never assume that the person that you're talking to has it all together and has a full understanding because sometimes we're all just working it out as we go along. So the misconception is we think we know what we're doing or that we think other people know what they're doing. We assume other people know what they're doing. Uh, That's really interesting. That's really interesting. So how do you scratch into that a little bit more and realize, okay, maybe this person doesn't know everything. How can I have a conversation with them that allows for an open dialogue with that? Well, I think it comes down to uh, having trust, having disclosure, saying, you know, I haven't seen this before. We haven't seen this before. Um, in our industry, we're fortunate in that we we work with enough scenarios that they have a tendency to go and repeat themselves because people are, after all, people, and they can be predictable at times. Um, but that doesn't necessarily apply to every business. And I think there's a lot of companies, a lot of organizations that are out there um, that are, you know, they're trying to be at the vanguard. They're trying to be entrepreneurial. They're trying to be innovative. And sometimes being innovative means waving, you know, wading into areas that are not necessarily um, well known. And I think that I think having trust about that between the parties that are talking to each other, communicating with each other, uh, makes it all the more critical to say, okay, we haven't seen this before, but we're working through it. And we're going to work through it with you. And, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, a lot of folks will say, oh, fake it till you make it. I think Mm. that's that's the absolute worst thing you can do. Um, Granted, like I said, we we don't we don't run into a lot of scenarios that we um, that are that we haven't necessarily seen before. 
Um, but that's not the case more broadly, I think, in a lot of uh, entrepreneurial opportunities. Because you're working with a lot of entrepreneurs, you're working with a lot of business owners. So you're seeing that quote, fake it to make it slash, what are we doing here? What, when you say trust, are we really talking about be vulnerable, like explain that, hey, I don't fully grasp this concept or this process. This is something new, but but trust me, we're going uh, to figure it out. I, I think when I say trust, what I mean is transparency, right? Yeah. Uh, transparency is 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 the key to being able to work through any discussion, any relationship, any disagreement, should it come to that. Um, and, you know, after all, it is disclosure to some degree as well. So when we talk about that, you know, when you say what, you know, your original question was about misconceptions, right? Yeah. Um, I think that there is often a misconception that everyone's an expert and that's absolutely not the case. What's been my experience anyway, and we experience the, the flip side of that. We're seeing what happens after someone professes to be an expert and is not, or, you know, is, is, is sort of making things up as they go along based on whatever, um, based on, on things that they might think they know or they understand to be the truth or the reality when in fact it's not. But you're in a unique position to see all of these different businesses and look under the hood. Mm -hmm. Is it a matter more that maybe they're an expert in one thing, but there's so many other things happening and moving pieces around them, such as, you know, HR, right? Well, right. So- very few of the entrepreneurs I knew and know got into their business. You know, maybe they're an expert in producing widgets. Maybe they're an expert in making widgets dance. Whatever they're an expert in, what they never really thought about or went into was saying, I want to be an employer when my company grows up. Like nobody ever says that. Right. Um, and all of a sudden, most of them do have to have employees to some degree. It's a rare business that doesn't. And, you know, employees are human beings and employees are not machines and they're not cogs in machines. So each individual employee is going to have their own wants, their own needs, their own aspirations and their own expectations. Um, and I think a lot of employers we see never really considered that, never thought of that until they lost their most valuable employee mm. or they got sued for some reason because they did something they weren't supposed to do or they didn't do something they were supposed to do. Well, people leave leaders, right? Not organizations. Is that, that is absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Jeff, you know, that you're so knowledgeable about all of this and all of the entrepreneurial pieces of it. Where are you learning these things? Where are you being coached and counseled and learned up. Well, so interesting. One of the things I'm, I'm, I'm an, I'm a generally pretty inquisitive guy in our industry. As I mentioned before, um, we have to be constantly learning to stay ahead of uh, where we are and make sure that, that we know what's happening proactively, both for our clients and obviously for ourselves. Um, however, that's all narrowed to you know the industry that I'm in. Um, I, I I joined back in 2009. I joined this organization EO. Right, um, regular listeners of this podcast know EO very very well. Um, when I look back today, 
and somebody asks me, where did you learn this? Or where did you pick that up? Or how do you know about this? There are times when I can't really recall exactly where it came from, but I can probably date it back to exposure that I've had to other members of entrepreneurs organization, whether it be folks that are in my forum or learning opportunities that I've been to in some of the uh, EO events that have been out there. Um, and it's been for my business, I would say, um, significant as far as allowing me to grow as a business owner and as an entrepreneur, um, but as also as a professional, being able to learn more and get exposure to things that probably I otherwise wouldn't have had a lot of exposure to. Um, back in 2005, when we sold our first company, um, you know, we went through a, a mergers and acquisitions process. And um, soon after, when I joined EO, I had exposure to, to, to some folks that were in the investment banking industry who I'd never known before. And so had I known them then, when I sold my first business, we would have done a lot of things really, really differently. Um, so it's really just continuing to learn and most, most of all, continuing to um, listen so I can learn from others. Let's go through kind of a, a history of how employer employee relationships were, you know, 80s, 90s, right. post COVID, right? Because I think we've had a real evolutionary shift about the relationship between employer and employee post COVID. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, well, without being too general, mm. some say that there's a, a, a generational component to it um it's like anything else there's always exceptions to the rules um some of that has to do with a generational bit but i'm always hesitant to talk about it in terms of generations because i've had some great gen z employees who you know are you know they, they're harder workers than some of my gen x employees but you know there's always the exception to the rule and and it's really what is their expectation from to what do they want to take away from the workplace and what does the workplace expect of them? And as long as I can remember um, in the 80s and so forth, coming to the workplace was more of, okay, you, you went to your work, you went to, and you did your job and you got paid to do your job and maybe you got paid well, maybe you didn't get paid well, but almost throughout, there was somebody that was going to be waiting for your job if you weren't able to or willing to do it. These days, um, post-COVID, there's probably, I think there was a statistic out there that there's, I think, three open positions for every unemployed person that's out there. Really? So that does, yeah, and that doesn't even speak to the what's available to somebody. Now, one would say, well, who's not working right now? Uh -huh. Mostly, uh, the assumption is, broadly made that the people that aren't working are the folks that either don't want to work or are not necessarily employable for whatever reason. So now then the ones that are employable and the ones that are desirable as employees are certainly working. So the competition for employees is more brutal than it's ever been and the competition to retain employees becomes a significantly larger challenge than it's ever been before. 
And if you've gone into that and your mindset is back from the 80s, which is, yeah, don't let the door hit you in the behind on the way out. There's three more people waiting for your job. Then all of a sudden, you better be good in robotics because that's the only way you're going to get work done. So it's literally skipped. It's gone a 180. And there's three people waiting for it versus there's three spots for one right. person. Therefore, the recruiters are coming. And you better, exactly. lock, you better lock down the fort and figure out how to keep people happy, right? Well, and it's, and it's not even that. Like we talk about recruiters, right? One of the biggest challenge employers have right now is we have this thing called LinkedIn, which is great. Everybody's resume is live, public, in person, available. I know that my own employees, they get sometimes two, three, four approaches a week from recruiters that are looking for people with their capabilities and their skills wow. um, to bring elsewhere. So there's an aggressive component to it. And then there's the non-aggressive component to it. And so somebody who might not necessarily have been looking all of a sudden feels put off for some reason and says, oh, the grass is looking greener over there. And they go. Now, that, per that person really wants me. That right. person's going to value me and is going to take good care of me. They said so. They're willing to pay 20% more or 30% more, or they're willing to let me work from home or whatever the scenario is that comes into play. Um, and we're starting to see now that that's not necessarily what it's been cracked up to be. We're starting to see that um, they go to a new organization, then they realize, well, they were willing to pay more, but that's because the culture at the new organization is not as good as it was right. at the previous, or I'm being asked to do a lot more with a lot less. So we're starting to see that boomerang around at us a little bit. Uh, and of course, the job market is tightening up a little bit. So that's um, depending on your perspective, that's more if you're an employer, that's becoming a little bit more helpful. But hopefully you're not an employer who's also looking into the potential recession that we're looking at and saying, Ooh, this is going to really hurt my business. Right. So. We got to start cutting people. But what about that person who sees the greener grass, they go over there and they're like, Oh, well, no wonder this place is, this is like something out of the, the early twenties. This is a sweatshop. These people, these there, this is unbelievable. My culture back there was so much better. We had fun. We enjoyed each other's presence and we had a purpose and it was fulfilling. Are those people welcome back? generally well it depends it yeah. depends on the nature with which they leave i mean you've heard the word ghosting before and unfortunately we've all been now ghosted to some degree at some point in time whether it be an employer that we agreed to hire who just never showed up or i've heard scenarios we haven't had it here uh but we you know employees that just stop showing up and they they disappear. Now, that I don't understand either because I was taught by my parents never ever ever burn a bridge. Right. To me, that's the absolute equivalent of burning a bridge. Right. I don't see I don't see why how that could benefit anybody except if there's three jobs for every one employee that's out there, then they don't have to worry about that. So when you're coaching, counseling, working with your clients, how are you helping them understand this environment and, you know, how to retain good people and, and work with people and make sure that they're aware, right? That you telling me that some folks are being approached by recruiters two, three times a week, 
that's shocking to me. You know, I'm sure it's shocking to a lot of other people, even though they realize, hmm, you know, your top performers are absolutely being recruited. So don't be ignorant about it. How do you have these conversations with business owners to, you know, keep that relationship intact? Well, I mean, it, it's that sets the table, if you will, for that conversation. The notion that, A, the employees are always being recruited and understanding that should then open the door to say, well, what do you want to see happen? And if you want it, what you want to see happen is I don't want turnover. I don't want to lose people that I've invested time and, and resources and effort into. Um, then the idea is starting to get more in touch with what those individuals are looking for in the workplace. Okay. And that, that could be, that's going to be different things to different people. So if you understand that for example, the, the newer working generations are seeking development opportunities in the workplace. They're seeking career paths that they see and understand and are um, uh, something that they can like put their arms around. Um, then an employer needs to be able to provide that. Um, an employee needs to be and wants to be engaged in the work that they do. They need to feel that it's it's going to benefit them and it's enriching to them in some way. And maybe it's enriching to them because it it's aligns with, um, you know, some social cause that they're, they consider is important. Mm -hmm. And maybe it aligns with them because um, they just get a lot of satisfaction from the role that they're in and it sort of matches up well. So part of it is understanding that then part of it is also making sure that you're hiring for the role and you're hiring the type of person for the role that is going to match up well. And one of the challenges that, that a lot of organizations face is there's a lot of pressure to make a very quick judgment and then a very quick um, offer to new employees or potential employees because they're not going to be out there for long. They're going to have other opportunities as well. Well, that leaves a very short period of time to actually get to know somebody. So now we get into the real important role of pre-employment assessments, uh, the type of thing that says, okay, I recognize, for example, what my organization's core values are. I need to hire those to, to those core values. And so what are the questions I need to be talking with a candidate about to make sure that I'm that that those are all in alignment? Um you know, that's a question. Those are all discussions that I don't think people were having in the 80s and in the 90s because right. it just wasn't all that relevant. But now it's completely relevant. So that's why you've seen HR professionals, or I'll go back a little further and call them personnel specialists, turn into chief people officers. Yeah. And, you know, that sort of thing. And it's real and it's it's true. And it's actually not all that difficult to do if you focus on the culture of the organization. And that's an important thing. Now, I always say around here, our culture, you can't ask me about our culture because I'll just, I'll tell you what I think it is. The culture comes from the employees and what they make of their days in the office, their days working remotely and their relationship both to the organization and to each other. Right. Now, obviously folks were working on values and mission statements pre-COVID, but do you see COVID as this really pivotal moment where everybody was in it together? 
There was an even playing field. Everybody was equally wondering what is going to happen next. How do we work with our people? And, you know, were people failing at that one to a point where it was devastating? And were people growing as an organization and becoming tighter as a culture because it became a necessity to become a family and figure it out together? Uh, well, I think organizations during COVID went a couple of different ways. Okay. Um, there was a real galvanization, I guess, uh, in some organizations because they needed to to sort of hunker down and work together to 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 do what they needed to do. And and I think our organization falls into that in the sense that through COVID, uh, as most business owners know, there was a tremendous amount of COVID relief that was tied to and associated with payroll and employment and keeping employees and so forth. Um, that was something we used to joke that that was the airplane that they were figuring out how to build while they were flying yeah. it. Um, so what our, one of our great responsibilities was to try to stay as, as much ahead of that as we possibly could. We actually had somebody on our staff who basically her, her job a hundred percent of the time was watching what was happening in Congress, watching what was getting passed, watching what the internal revenue service was yeah. coming down with and so forth. So we could then pass that along in a very timely manner and support customers appropriately. Um, I'd love to say every organization who was in our business was doing the same thing somewhere a little bit later right. to the game than others. Um, but I feel like for us, that did two things. Not only did it really create an opportunity for us with our clients who might've been working with some of our, you know, national competitors who felt like, Oh no, they're not going to help me. So I need to go with somebody who will be able to help. And that's the yeah. role that we played. Um, but also for my team internally, you know, everybody really had a chance to, you know, look to the left and look to the right of who was in the foxhole with them. Yeah. And, um, you know, we hadn't lost a single person from um, from that period of time. And, you know, they will all look back at that and say that was rough because we were talking to clients as they were laying off three quarters of their teams or more. Right. Um, but you know, it, it it was it was definitely something that helped our organization. Now, other organizations and some clients of ours completely went the other way. They nearly, if not completely, lost their businesses and everywhere in between. Um, so we had we have a ton of hospitality clients, and we did some things to try to help those guys, including helping them by not charging them year end fees and the types of things that they needed to do whatever we could do to help them during this scenario where they were shut down, we did. Um, some organizations could go to remote work and it was quick and it was easy. And so long as there was still some value that they could provide, then they managed to retain and continue to do business. We had some clients who, uh, like clients in the mortgage industry, who had the best years they right. ever had. Um, but basically what was going on is you had a bunch of employees who now all of a sudden were kind of had the time and opportunity to re-examine yep. their lifestyles and, you know, how much time they were spending in their daily commute or um, how much time they were spending um, doing, you know, doing work that they didn't necessarily love or didn't, wasn't necessarily fulfilling. And 
that contributes to the great resignation. Um, some people more optimistic, and I will agree with this, uh, would refer to it now as I would call it the great reconciliation. Right. The great reflection, the great awakening, the great, right. what are we doing? Are we doing this correctly? Because it doesn't make sense to sit in the car for four hours a day. Right. It simply doesn't make sense. But then there's the argument, well, we need the, you know, the seasoned people to be able to train the younger people and then mm -hmm. in comes teams and in comes all of these things. But, you know, what I find really fascinating being in the real estate space is the people can live where they want to, not where mm -hmm. they have to, right? right? So it allows for it. And what I saw really interesting was how some of the big companies were trying to figure out pay scales based on region. And, you know, they're working out of the New York office, getting paid at a high rate, but they're living in Kansas, right? You know, and where's the equity there? So really, really fascinating stuff. And you must have really been right in the battlefield during COVID with these companies because it was wild. Well, I, I, there's still a lot of movement that's happening. Uh -huh. um, so organizations that we're dealing with, that's one of the challenges that, that they're dealing with is, okay, you know, it used to be that I had everybody in the office. And so everybody lived in the same place. And as an, or as a, as a, as a taxpayer, um, I know that, that, you know, my employees are in Massachusetts, then, okay, everybody's in Massachusetts. Well, let's just shake it all up and throw it all out there again. And now, great, we, we are a partially remote company, but now I have employees in 10 different states and I'm still doing business only like really in Massachusetts. But what does that mean for my organization? How am I on top of the compliance that's needed to do that? And so when I talk to companies, I got my start way back in the days when payroll was just creating checks, calculating taxes and so forth. Now, we help employers with everything related to employment. And it's such a broad it's it's such a broad need and such a broad capability. And you know, every company is different and the needs of every company is different. So that's what we've become, I think, really, really strong at as an organization is recognizing and helping companies in the different stages that they're in get the tools that they need and the help that they need based on their employee population and how many are exempt employees and how many are non-exempt employees and where they are and you know what they're doing and so forth. What do you mean exempt or non-exempt? Exempt or non-exempt. So an exempt employee uh, generally indicates exempt from overtime. So a lot of times, most times, a lot of folks will make the, uh, the draw of saying, okay, an exempt employee, salaried employee. But the reality of the situation is that there's a very strict test that exists um, at the federal Department of Labor level to look at what defines an exempt employee, somebody that's a, a professional, like a lawyer or a CPA, somebody that's a, um, a an IT specialist, a salesperson, you know, the, a manager of some sorts. And then there's tests related to that where you say a non-exempt employee is somebody who isn't necessarily a, a an hourly worker, but there's somebody that gets paid for a job that has variable hours. And as a result, they could be eligible to work in overtime. Now, you've got your federal levels and federal definitions of exempt and non-exempt, um, which alter a little bit at the state level. So now you're talking about just that's one example of compliance challenges that come into play 
between the various 50 states plus the territories that you could be in on top of and in interplaying with the federal level requirements and you know who do you listen to and which one takes precedent same thing with minimum wage and so forth so it becomes very very complex and the solutions for example that we bring to a company that has a bunch of hourly employees or a bunch of non-exempt employees is very very different than we bring to say a law firm that's made up of 20 different lawyers got it so let me ask you how did you get into this business let's go way back let's go back to that first job <laughs> let's go back to the first job and let's let's learn who you are and how you got here so i was the kid you know a lot of folks will say well i when i was a kid i wanted to be a nfl player yeah i wanted to be a fireman or a yep. rocket scientist i was one of the few that said i want to be in payroll when i grow up <laughs> and no one says that i love it um the, the way I got into the business is that my father, who was a CPA and he was in finance, uh, built a company that did, and this was back in the early 80s, uh, built a company that did bookkeeping and accounting and payroll, which was part of that at the time, um, on home-built systems. This is before the PC, before the internet, um, you know, IBM System 36s oh. and, you know, green and white ledger paper and that bit. Um and he's, he got into the payroll business and I was in my teen years at the time. And, um, you know, for example, when W2 time comes around at the end of the year, he needed help making sure the W2s got into envelopes and got sealed. And so my brother and I became free labor. Uh, we were we became the stuffing machine, so to speak, um, and have really sort of just grown up in the business ever since. And um, so. I've been in this business and for so many years and I remember those days and I remember what it was like in those days and what the business was all about. And at the time that business was all about calculating checks and making sure that tax returns got done and appropriately signed and, um, you know, getting taxes paid. Then as we evolved it into the nineties, um, paying taxes became the reason that a lot of companies went with, a payroll company so they know who to pay and when and how because most entrepreneurs will tell you the penalties for not paying taxes on time are pretty significant and pretty steep well in the late 90s bring in the internet and bring in the ability for us to sort of get everybody in in um, software as a service type applications now employment becomes more complex and you've got payroll systems and you've got human resource information systems, which was a different thing. And you've got benefit enrollment systems, which were out there and used only by much larger companies. And all of that started to come together and get under the same hood as far as a software process is concerned. So it was not just who does my payroll, but who can start to help me with these solutions? And so um, I, in the early 2000s, started to seek out various solutions that would first integrate and then bring all of these solutions together. Um, and I, I went through a couple and found some that worked very, very well for our clients. And that sort of gave birth to a term that nobody outside our industry knows, which is called human capital management mm. or HCM. 
you say HCM to the average person, then they don't, what, what was that? You know, they mm -hmm. don't understand. Um, and which is a, why I never use it, but basically broadly speaking, it is all the tools and solutions that surround supporting an employer with their employees. Huh? So HCM, and then it drives you into more, right? So we assume that a lot of people back in the eighties may have had to do this in-house. They had their own accounting department and then they decided, well, we're going to outsource this, right? Because this is becoming a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. And then the challenges are becoming more, but the opportunities become more for a company like you to give more services, a menu of services for companies to say, well, I, I never even thought of that. What other services are you providing now for, for, for those companies? Well, so there's, there's, there's technology solutions, which will make an employer more efficient. So it's not unusual for us to run into, you know, companies as they grow, let's just say there's a company with 20 employees and there's always that one person. Everyone knows the company that has that one person who knows where all the bodies are buried. Right. She does payroll. She does HR to some degree. She handles the benefits and so forth. So then the company grows. Now they're 40 employees, 60 employees. The business owner is like, oh, I hope she doesn't get hit by a bus or uh, I hope she doesn't win the lottery to right. be more positive about it. I better get another one of her. When in fact, what the, what she's doing is just continuing the processes as if they were 20 employees. So if you revise the processes, you can make that one person significantly more efficient um, especially around uh, tracking time, tracking attendance, benefit enrollment, all of these different things. Um, so it's just a matter of properly applying the technology where you can do so uh, to not only to the to the advantage of the company, but to the advantage of the employees as well, giving them more empowerment, more tools to make themselves um, uh, more able to, to get things done without going and standing in somebody's doorway to do it. Right. Um, you've got now the generations that are in the workforce are ones that expect to be able to do everything with this, right? Mm. And so if they can't onboard, if they can't enroll in benefits, if they can't request a day off from the phone, then that's an old school company. And so there's lots of organizations that are still considered old school. So now as they're talking about becoming more appealing to a new generation of workers and employees, they better get on board with having the tools that make it a thing like an onboarding process very easy. Think about an employee that sits down first day on the job, first three, four hours they spend filling out forms mm. versus being able to do it automatically, cleanly, online, before the first day, and then the first day is spent celebrating the existence of the new employee and the new organization. Two very, very different things. Yes. Two very, very different experiences. So outside and alongside, there's the technology implementation expertise and tools that we offer up. But then there are lots of services around that. And now, you know, I've been talking about benefits. I've been talking about time and payroll. Those are sort of the really functional items. But now we're talking about 
having tools to help grow and teach employees. So we're talking about learning management systems, uh, employee engagement systems, uh, performance management systems. So how do we create an ongoing conversation about an employee and how they develop within the workplace? There's a functional way to implement that, but you also need technology tools to do it well and to do it effectively. So how do we put those into place, especially in an organization that's never had that in place before? Right. Because we're really talking broadly about behavior change. Right. We got to break some, this, break this and start over again. Right. And sometimes the employers are worse at the behavior change than the employees. Mm. Well, this is the way we've always done it, Jeff. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> Sometimes those things don't continue to work, though. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Looking back at little Jeffrey working in his dad's uh, office, stuffing W-2s and uh, payroll tax returns and W-3s and doing all of that, if you could go back and give that young man some advice, what would you say? Um, learn how to code for yourself. Really? Well, yeah. I mean... It continues to be technology, which leads the way on a lot of these things. Um, there's a word for it. It's now called work tech. And just like fintech, work tech is all about helping employees do things, helping employers do things, and so forth. Um, like everything else, uh, there is a significant uh, shortfall of developers that are available to do this. And so in our relationship with the software companies that we do business with, there's can we continue to see innovation and the potential for innovation, which is slowed down only by the ability or the, um, the amount of development capability that's out there to make it happen. So what we see is opportunities that we can't actually even go after. Uh, and that sometimes I've seen, I've had ideas myself about, oh, we should do this and we can't get it done on the technology side. And then somebody else does. Right. Right. So if I could give myself any advice, I would say, okay, this is a great business to learn, but that's a skill that I should have learned a long time ago um, to be able to do it. Now, like it's seldom a single developer that makes a big difference, but um, you know, that's, that, that is now a very expensive notion to be able to do that. And that's why we as a company rely on technology partners to, to develop and deliver the technology that we use rather than doing it ourselves. What are some of those softwares as a solution? What are those, those programs that companies can use that would help um, grow their company, right? To What are some of the do-it-yourselfers, for lack of a better term, to get started and, and analyze certain things better? What are, what are some of your favorite well, partners? We're obviously, um, we have, there's a, the, the solution that we lean on and we utilize ourselves is called iSolved. And we've been partners of the iSolved organization since before it was even called iSolved. That goes back to um, 2010. Now, iSolved is not the only one in the business. Certainly all the big national companies that are out there, um, you know, pick one, they all start with the word pay, you know, and um they all have solutions that do, they, they perform the same function, if not in the same way. Um, some are easier to use than others. Um, some are simpler than others, which is a good thing if you have a simple need until you have a complex need. 
And so it is certainly not a one size fits all scenario. And I think with any technology solution, you'll pay a little bit to not interface with human beings um, and you'll pay more to interface with human beings and to have a lot higher level of support. Uh, but what I do know about this industry is back to what we were saying at the beginning, most business owners never got into business mm. with the intention of being an employer. So most of, them, most of them that I run into have a high, high level of need for service. And if they say, well, I could go with this company, it's all online and so on and so forth. And it's significantly cheaper. And yes, of course it is. Go for it. Hopefully you won't need any help with it. Uh, but the reality of the situation is that they do need help with it. And that's why one of the things that we spend a lot of time and effort on is making sure that we um, provide a very immersive experience for the employers that we work with to be able to support them, uh, even so much so to the point where we recognize it as one of our jobs that we need to make sure that that client that we're working with is, is going to do the right things, not only for the people that they work for, but for the employees that, that rely on them. Um, we used to say and continue to say that a really good payroll company is one that's seen, but not heard. If our company name is on the lips of all the employees, that's a bad thing. Right. That's interesting. But it's also interesting that you talk about that do-it-yourself, right? And the, and the reality of it is, is someone's going to download this software and they're going to look at it and they spend the whole weekend trying to figure it out and then forget it. And all of a sudden, it's a wasted expense. It's sunk. And you're still exactly where you need to be. That's the, It comes back to it all the time. It's you, you, where there is a need for a professional, hire mm -hmm. the professional, right? Hey, Jeff, what else do you like to do? Give me some of uh, your hobbies and passions and, and some personal stuff. Well, when my kids were young, I was a very passionate coach. I'm a very competitive guy. And um, when I, when I be, when I, when my athletic days were over, um, my kids athletic days were beginning pretty quickly. And so I was uh, pretty involved with them. My daughter ended up as a NCAA softball player. Uh, my son is a current NCAA football player. Wow. And so I'd like to say part of what I do and my wife, we both live vicariously through our children and their uh, achievements and successes. Um, we live in uh, we live in a town on the North Shore of Massachusetts. And so that provides us an opportunity to have full access to the water. So we spend time on our boats um, and, you know, and I spend a lot of time focusing on this business because, um, you know, it's it's my other baby, so to speak. Yeah, no, I hear you. You know, Jeff, I really appreciate you very, very much coming on and talking with us about this and sharing your wisdom, sharing your knowledge, sharing all of what you're doing. But one of the questions that I find is most important is where where would someone find you? How would they contact you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name, Jeff Plackens, that's spelled P-L-A-K-A-N-S is the last name. There's not many Plackens out there, and there's certainly not many Jeff Plackenses out there. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you're welcome to reach out to me directly uh, via email. I welcome that. Uh, my email is Jeff, J-E-F-F dot Plackens, P-L-A-K-A-N-S at Compay, C-O-M-M-P-A-Y-H-R dot com.
I love it. I love it. You know, thank you again. That's it, everybody. What an amazing show, Jeff. I, I appreciate you so much for coming on and sharing. And folks, if you learned something today, if you laughed, if you heard something you've never heard before, you know, tell somebody about this podcast, share it with them, let them know. Thanks again, Jeff. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. Folks, this has been another exciting episode of Leadership in Action. We will see you next time. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer -peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.